0: Philippians one eighteen B through twenty one. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you have a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 1. It's in the New Testament, probably about halfway through as far as books go, but probably toward the end of your Bible. Philippians chapter 1 will be our text today. I appreciate the good feedback that we have gotten on the Who Am I series. And if you missed any of those messages, or you think one or two of those messages might really benefit someone, then you can go to our website, you can go to our YouTube channel, and you can listen to or watch those messages. And so I would encourage you to do that, certainly if it's a tool that you can use to bless someone else's life. But we are starting a new Sunday morning series today. This is a time of new beginnings for many people, certainly students and teachers going back to school. So we're mindful of that. We're also mindful that we have new members of this church family. And we have guests here, and and many of them are wondering what this church is all about. And so it's a good time to revisit our vision from God. It's a good time to revisit our core values. And for all of us, it's a great time to renew our commitment to who we are, To what we're all about, to what God is doing in us and through us. And so we're calling this series core. And that's what it's about. It's what's at the core of who we are, our collective identity, our collective purpose. What is at the center of this church? What guiding principles, what core values are there beneath the surface that shape us, that inform our approach to each other and to the world? And certainly that formulate our identity and who we are and what we do. I must say that anytime you do a series like this, anytime you talk about what is most important to an organization, certainly to a church, there's always the risk that you will miss something. You know, Someone comes along and says, well, what about this? Isn't that important? Well, yeah, it's important. So we can't necessarily cover everything. And I want you to know this is going to be from a broad perspective. This is more of a a macro view of our core values and vision. For example, next Sunday, we're going to talk about how the Word of God, the Bible, is foundational to who we are. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to, to go through each biblical doctrine or each scriptural teaching that is important to us. That probably would be a great series sometime, but that's not what this series is about. But by the end of this series, we hope everyone has a much better understanding of the priorities and the principles that God is using to shape us and to use us in this world. I may also remind you that as we start every Sunday morning series, we have Discovery Bible Study bookmarks back in the lobby. I would encourage you to pick up one of those bookmarks. This is a great way to not only stay alongside the text's and the sermons that are preached on Sunday sort of follow up or maybe pre-read for the upcoming sermon. But the idea around this Discovery Bible study is that you would invite one or two or three other people to sit down with you, that you would build it into the rhythm of your life, into a routine, that you would open up God's Word together, learn, grow, pray together, that you would allow the Spirit of God to work through those gatherings to bring about transformation in your lives. And so I would encourage you if you don't have a way to study your Bible, if you don't have a way to do that individually, if you don't have a way to do that with other people, consider Discovery Bible Study. Those bookmarks are out in the lobby. I would encourage you to pick one of those up. Before we jump into the sermon, let's let's join together in prayer and ask God to bless this entire series. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. God, we thank you for your word that sheds light on who you are, on who we are. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless and use this series of messages, that you would help us see who you called us out to be, who you made us to be as a congregation, as a community of faith. Father, that we would embrace who we are collectively in Christ. So, Father, help us to listen with ears and a heart that wants to seek you and wants to accomplish your will in Jesus' name, amen. Earlier this summer, my, my parents came to see us, and one afternoon, my mom walked out on the back porch, probably to thaw out. They, they claim that our house is always cold, you know, so we, I mean, I, I bump it up to 73. That seems reasonable to me. That's warm to me, 73, but if you go to their house, there's, there's 73, and then there's 74, and then there's hot, and then there's equator, and that's where they set their thermostat. Really, really hot. So I'm sure she was going outside to thaw out a little bit, and so I, I went outside, and I was talking to her, and she said, I just heard something. I said, what'd you hear? What do you mean? She said, I heard something popping or cracking, and it sounded like electricity or something, and I said, well, I, what, where was it? What was it? She said, I don't know, but I know I heard it, and so I'm, I'm looking around everywhere trying to discover what's, what's happening, what happened if something broke, if there was power lines down I didn't know but I couldn't find anything and so they ended up uh, you know going back home two days later I'm out in the backyard and I'm mowing and that's when it hits me that's when I put it all together we have two or three giant cottonwood trees in our backyard and I don't know if there are trees in hell but if there are they are cottonwood trees I can assure you of that Now, some of you sweet gum tree people might want to make a vote for sweet gums, which I could probably go there with you, but it's got to be cottonwoods. Got to be cottonwoods. So we have these massive cottonwood trees in our backyard. And on one of these giant trees, there was a huge branch that hung about a 45-degree angle. And the sound that my mom heard was that branch cracking and popping and ultimately crashing down to the earth, even left an indention in the ground below it at one point. Look at that thing. It's massive. The base of that, around the base of that branch, it's about 25, 30 inches in diameter. Huge branch. And so I'm checking this thing out, and I go, and I look at where it split. You can see where it split in the photo. And I look inside there, and I discover that the core of the tree is rotten. It's completely rotted. And there are legions of carpenter ants, in and out and all around this branch. And I'm thinking, well, no wonder it gave way, right? The core was weakened. Without a strong core, it couldn't hold up its own weight and ultimately it came crashing down to the earth below. Well, you can see where I'm going with this, can't you? The analogy works well for probably any organization, certainly for the church. When a church doesn't have a strong core, those non-negotiable, uncompromising values and a Holy Spirit-infused, God-ordained vision, then it is weakened and it is susceptible to external forces. And ultimately, unless someone, something, God, comes along and intervenes, it may come crashing down. But when there are common priorities, common principles, at the very core of a congregation. There is strength, there is stability, and the church can grow and flourish and continue to bear fruit. It's interesting, I don't know if this is true, I've heard this about carpenter ants. Maybe if you're an entomologist, or maybe an arborist, or you just really like carpenter ants, you may know, but I've heard that they don't make the tree rotten. They don't show up until the tree is rotten, and so the ants show up, but on the outside, everything looks pretty normal. You can't really tell, especially initially, that the tree is, has been compromised or that the core is weak. But that's when the ants show up. And I think that illustrates a great truth. Interior instability invites external threats, which ultimately cause irreparable damage. I think that principle is so true when it comes to organizations, when it comes to our own lives, also when it comes to the church. From the outside, everything may look normal. That's a healthy family system. That's a healthy, well-adjusted person. That is a good, healthy church. But at the core, if things aren't stable, if there's not strength there, then that church, that organization is susceptible to external forces so as we consider the Edmund Church of Christ, the Edmund Church of Christ is nothing if not stable. In many ways I think this community of faith is like a giant oak towering to the skies, not a cottonwood, an oak, towering to the skies and in many ways bearing fruit, the fruit of the gospel throughout the world. I think it's providing nourishment to others and even much needed shade, not the bad kind of shade, the good kind of shade, for the world in many respects and for our community. But as we consider not only who we are, but who we need to be to stay engaged with an ever-changing world around us, we recognize that we also, yes, we need to be stable, we need to be strong, but we also need to be nimble. We need to be Attentive to what is happening in our world. We need to be diligent in understanding and engaging the world in front of us. You see, stability is optimal, but stagnation is deadly. And sometimes there is a fine line, isn't there? Sometimes there's a fine line between stability and stagnation. And so we want to be stable. We want to be strong. But at the same time, we must be dynamic. We must be growing. We must adapt to the world around us, which brings us to the importance of this series. When you start talking about adapting, people get a little bit nervous, right? And we should. Are we talking about changing who we are? No. What is at the core of our being? What is, what is it that we center ourselves around? That's the question for this series, the things that are fundamental the things that are non-negotiable, the things that will not change. As we sometimes change our processes, as we sometimes adapt our methods for reaching an ever-changing world, there are things that are core that do not change. And so this morning, we begin with the one thing that was paramount for the early church, the church in the first century, the thing that was always in the forefront of the Apostle Paul's mind, When we pick up Paul, when we see Paul at the beginning of his letter to the church in Philippi, we find Paul in prison. He is in jail. Maybe in Ephesus, maybe in Rome, we're not for sure. But life isn't good. And he is about to probably be on trial. We don't know his fate. There's a good chance he could be convicted. There's a good chance he could ultimately be executed. We don't know. Paul doesn't know. And yet... It's in those times when you strip away everything that brings us comfort, when you strip away everything that makes us familiar, it's in those moments that you see what's truly important to people, isn't it? I mean, you know that about your own life. When you experience loss, things are put into perspective. When life gets tough, you see what's truly important. We see that with Paul. He is in jail for proclaiming the gospel of Christ, for proclaiming and declaring a Lord other than Caesar. He has been punished for that, persecuted for that. He is in jail, maybe going to be executed. So we will see what is most important to Paul. And so he begins his letter with typical greetings, and then he gets very quickly into the heart of the matter. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, I thank my God. But he also knows that they are confused, that they need some perspective. Because they're watching Paul, this man who declares his faith openly, being persecuted, being put on trial. And in many ways, Paul isn't the only one on trial. The gospel is on trial. And maybe they're thinking if this happens to that guy, what's going to happen to us? if we live out our faith, if we share Christ with the world around us, with our neighbors, if we take a stand for Jesus, what's going to happen to us? I mean, this is a pivotal moment. This is an important moment. And so in many ways, what Paul has to do is interpret his chains. He has to give perspective on his circumstances. And that's what he does. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ and because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear do you hear what Paul says there he says my imprisonment is not a bad thing Now, the world, the unbelieving world, would put that spin on it, wouldn't it? It still does today. The unbelieving world would interpret his circumstances differently. They would say, yes, it is a bad thing for you. It's a bad thing for Christianity. Why would God let you be in prison? Why would God let you maybe be killed? Oh, yeah, God also allowed his son to be killed. You see, that's how the world would interpret it. Still does today, right? Why would God, a good God, a gracious God, allow you to go through these bad things? Why would a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? Yes, that's bad, but Paul says, wait a second. It depends on your perspective. It depends on what is bad and what is good and what ultimately is the highest goal and value. Paul says, these chains have advanced the gospel that God has used this negative situation of mine to do positive things. Paul says, everyone throughout the palace guard knows why I'm here. They're all talking about Jesus. How else could that happen if I'm not in prison? Not only that, believers are suddenly emboldened. They are empowered to share their faith. Paul's story is inspiring them. Remember, when Jesus was arrested, What did his disciples do? They ran and hid. Paul is arrested, and what do the disciples do? They're empowered to take a stand. That is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in believers' lives. And then Paul reminds them. He reminds them what it's all about. As if to reset their focus... On what is most important, to give them perspective, and maybe even to recenter his own life, his own mind, his own heart about the whole reason he is doing this, the whole reason he is in chains, that it's worth it. Back in the text, verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Wait a second, Paul, aren't you in jail? Aren't you in prison? Yes, but I can rejoice because my joy transcends my circumstances. My perspective is deeper than the pain that I am going through, Paul says. Absolutely, I can rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul finds himself here On the threshold between life and death, his toes are hanging over the edge of mortality. And he looks in front of him, and what does he see? He sees eternal life with Christ, and he says, that looks good. (laughs) That's what I've been waiting for. I really want to go there. But there's something behind him getting his attention, and so he has to look over his shoulder, and he sees and he feels something else, this sense of responsibility, this opportunity to make much of Christ among people in need. Now, Paul doesn't have a death wish, but he knows where he is, and he knows that his future, whatever that future is, if it's heaven or if it's earth, whatever that future is, he knows it's going to be okay. He can walk into eternity, or he can step back into the world with confidence and assurance and with joy because he's walking with Christ don't forget what Paul says here he embraces his future he embraces life eternal and life here no matter how difficult because his life is focused on Christ and so he says that famous line for me to live is Christ and to die is gain now we we understand the second part of that don't we to die is gain especially when we think about it from Paul's perspective. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Paul, you've been shipwrecked. You've been persecuted. You've been flogged. Right now, you're in prison. You're in jail. To die would be gain. It would be better than what you're going through. But it's that first part that we sometimes struggle with. It's unsettling. It's perplexing. Even the wording is odd, isn't it? For me to live is Christ. What Paul is saying there, he's saying at the core of my being, at the very center of who I am, how I think, what I do, is Jesus Christ. He's everything to me. He's all to me. And so if I go on living, there is only one way for me to live, in Christ and for Christ. That's probably a profound change from earlier in Paul's life. Before he heard that voice and saw that bright light on that dusty road to Damascus, Paul probably would have said something different, right? Paul may have said, for me, to live is tradition. Or maybe for me, to live is self-righteousness, to show the world how good I am. Or maybe simply for me, to live is the law, the law of Moses, the precious law. My job, my life is about defending it, keeping it, enforcing it, But now that he has met Christ, now that he has encountered Jesus in a personal and a powerful way, his life is different. Everything is different. And Paul says, for me, to live, it's Christ. What about you? What would you say? If there was a fill in the blank, how would you fill in the blank? For me, to live is blank. Success? Happiness? pleasure? What would it be? How about for us collectively? How would we answer that question? For this church family, for this community of faith, what is the answer? For us to live, for us to really live, for us to function in this community, for us to maintain maintain stability and reach the world around us, what does it mean? For us to live is the answer has to be Christ. The answer must be Christ. Christ is our focus. Christ is our focus, which means we model our lives after him, and he gives meaning to our lives. It means we adhere to his teachings. It means he is the Lord of our lives. He's in charge of everything. There's not compartments in our lives. He is over everything, relationships, job, money, everything, decisions, the way I speak, the way I think. When we gather together, what do we do? We sing Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. We proclaim the teachings of Christ. We meet around that table every week, and we remember what? The death and the resurrection of Christ. Christ is our focus, but Christ must be our focus, not just in this building in this space it's not as though we show up here and we use Christ and we speak of Christ and then we leave him here like one of those pew bibles in front of you maybe right you show up you take it out you use it and then you put it back and you go on with your life no if Christ is truly our focus then when we leave this place we leave with the feet of Christ taking us into a lost world with a sense of of being intentional seeking lost hurting, broken people. Our feet, because they're the feet of Christ, that's where they take us just as Jesus interacted with people who were hurting and broken. And when we leave here, if Christ is our focus, we go with the mind of Christ and we make decisions and we process things and we discern what is important with the mind of Christ. And when we leave here, We see people with the eyes of Christ. We don't see people as as people that we can gain something from or use to get our ultimate goal, happiness or pleasure, or all those things we just talked about, or people who've hurt us or people we don't like or people who disagree with us. No, we see people, all people, through the eyes of Christ as image bearers of God with value and worth. And when we leave here, We leave here with the hands of Christ, serving people in the name of Christ, blessing people in the name of Christ. You see, Christ must be more than an idea. It must be more than a concept. It must be more than a name on a sign. Christ must be everything. Paul said, for me to live, it is my life to live is Christ. That means the life, the death, the resurrection, the teachings of Jesus, those are paramount. Those are more important than any political agenda I might have. Those are more pressing than my own needs and desires. Those are more urgent than my schedule. Those have more influence than anything that this world says or does. Or any feeling I have. It's all about Jesus. To live is Christ. I recently read an article written by a young lady who grew up going to church, but now she says she's an atheist. But she calls herself something else, she calls herself a cultural Christian. It's a growing trend among especially some young people who maybe grow up in the church and they don't want to really get rid of that part of their lives, but they don't really believe in Jesus. And so they want the connection of church, they want the stories, those familiar stories that bring nostalgia and the feeling that comes with that, but they don't want the conviction, the, the, the trust, the belief, cultural Christians. You see, they want to hear the stories of Jesus and even maybe appreciate the stories of Jesus, maybe even tell, share the story of Jesus or the stories of Jesus, but they don't want those stories to be their stories. They don't want the story of Jesus to transform their life. You see, if Christ is our focus, that's what happens. The gospel, the story of Jesus, the gospel becomes our story and we are as Scott McKnight says people of the story the story of Jesus and so as we conclude this morning and you think about your life and collectively we think about our life as a church that God has placed in this place in this time we must answer that question for us to live is blank got to be Christ. It must be. Is he everything to you? If not, why not? Is it because you, you struggle to connect the dots, to put it all together? That's why you need to trust. That's why it's faith. Maybe today is the day for you that God is putting it all together in your heart, in your mind and you see that Jesus is the Son of God, that he Died for you, and you're ready to live for him. Maybe today you're ready to give your life to him in baptism, so that you can say, For me, to live, to really live, it's Christ. And even to die would be gain. Maybe today's your day. Maybe you are a Christian and you answered that question long ago, but life has gotten in the way and you've been distracted. And now, if you're honest, you put something else in that blank. Personal happiness, success, financial gain, whatever it is. And God is calling you back. God is capturing your heart. Let him do that. Maybe it means making changes. Maybe it means confessing sin. If there's something we can do as your church family, a church family that has Christ as its focus, maybe we can reflect the heart of Christ to you, lift you up in prayer, support you. If there's something we can do, We certainly want to do that. We have a couple of shepherds and their wives in the parlor, a room right behind me. They would be happy to receive you and pray for you and encourage you or you can come down to the front today as together we stand and sing.